We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, DraftKings picks and preview for the 2020 Sony Open. If you want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars, smash the like button for the video. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Tell me your two favorite plays below $7,000 at the Sony Open. If you want to get into a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review. DraftKings handle and something you enjoy about this show, boom, you're in the draw for 100 DraftKings dollars. Winners announced every Monday on The Golf Show with Jeff Feinberg. Also, for people who are interested in becoming a member at FantasyNational.com, all the stats, all the tools, ownership projections, simulator, all that fun stuff, if you go to FantasyNational.com slash PME, get yourself 20% off. First time ever we're using discount code, so you might as well jump in. Well, the getting's good at FantasyNational.com. Joining me on the line right now from TheFantasyGrind.com and DK Live, it's Jeff Ulrich. What's going on, my man? Not too much. I am excited. I mean, uh, it's always a good time of year. Early January, you get to watch the the tropical locations for golf and get some golf band back in your life. So, yeah, ready to go. Did you have Justin Thomas last week? No, um, I, I watched the, the bang show with, with you and Feinberg last night. Um, I was in the same situation. I didn't take uh, Thomas. I basically took two of those guys from the, the 12 to like 15 to one range. I took Fowler and Cantlay. Uh, those are the guys I landed on who are right there in the top five. They just didn't sink enough putts. Mainly Ricky didn't sink enough putts. Um, but I, I bypassed Thomas for those two guys. Pretty stupid uh, in, in retrospect, but, uh, you know, it's always tough to land on a favorite who's like what whatever he was six to one eight to one so yeah and now he's exactly the same odds this week in a field that's like six times the size but if you want to get into the pat mayo experience open 
the DraftKings Listeners League. The link is in the description of this video and podcast. Now, for whatever reason, there was a delay on the tournament, so I actually didn't get it until Tuesday morning. So it's updated across all the shows from Monday. It'll be in Tuesday's show. If you're looking for it, just hit that description. Three max entry, $15 to enter, no rake. There's only 1,500 spots this week because we missed out on a day of trying to get people to enter, and they don't want to create any overlay, so hopefully we can have it by Monday morning next week, and it's like back to the 3,000 that we had, and if it fills up, you tell at DraftKings on Twitter to make the PME open for golf bigger. Let's see how big we can get. We ended up with like 10,000 entries for the Masters last year. Hopefully we can like ramp up and do like 5K a week. It's a lot of free money to be thrown around, rake-free money, but... Sony Open, Jeff, the course, YLI, it's just over 7,000 yards. It is a par 70, and despite the fact that there are only two par 5s on the course, it generated the fourth most eagles of any venue on tour in 2019. It's like middle range hard, hard to hit fairways, it doesn't really matter, but driving distance tends to be a bit mitigated here over a lot of different courses. Um, Skill set-wise, is there any skill that you think you would go to off the hop, or is everyone kind of in play here? It is kind of a week where everyone is, is a little bit in play. I mean, it's not, it's a really simple course. I think when it breaks down to it, um, there's not a lot of trouble on the course. So, you know, if your guy's just getting it off the tee somewhere in play, I mean, he, he's going to have a shot to win. It really comes down to, can, can he get hot with his irons and putter? So that that's really what I'm looking at. I mean, it's still, you still have to be strong tee to green. Obviously you're going to have to make some saves at, at some point in the week, but um you know, it's, it's a course that de-emphasizes power. It doesn't mean that, like, the big hitters, though, can't get it done because it's still an advantage in some spots. I think that's the one thing I would say when, when you're looking at players. Don't necessarily bypass the big hitters. Just, you know, if your player is playing well tee to green, he's going to have a shot here if he can get hot with the putter. I think that's probably the best way to put it. It's, it's kind of a boring course in some ways. It, it is a nice locale, but um, it's a very straightforward par 70. That's why you see guys like Kisner... Kucher, guys who just put it in the fairway, can get hot with their putter and irons, do well here. Um, it is what it is. Uh, experience doesn't hurt. Um, yeah, Bermuda Green's obviously a, a factor too. The biggest narrative that we've heard all week is the past six winners have all played the week previously at yeah. the Tournament of Champions, coming into this event, and then they end up winning. But you found even more stats to go along with that to try to narrow that group down. So I think it's a fun narrative to talk about. Obviously, every mm-hmm. single week we need to hammer down on something we can all talk and write about or point to. And some people believe in the trends. Some people don't believe in the trends. Uh, I think it's something that I'm going to lean towards more this week because it just makes a lot of intuitive sense that guys that have played four competitive rounds in 2020 would likely have an advantage at least out of the gate josh perry the action network pointed out that if you're betting this event you might want to bet the guys from last week now and then wait a day to jump on the guys that didn't play because presumably their first rounds will be the worst rounds that they end up having yeah, and I mean, that, that's a good narrative, too. I mean, it, it, you're right, especially if, if a guy you like who didn't play last week and he does start a little bit slow, you could potentially get, like, a really, really good number on them for round two. So definitely um, this is an event that I'm actually taking that strategy from betting. I'm not going to bet a ton of guys off the hop. I'm going to leave a, a little bit of room open for wiggle room. Um, and, again, you, we come back to that the, the narratives. Yeah, players who have played last week, and, uh, you know, the other thing is I, I mentioned players have to putt well. Most of the winners here have ranked inside the top 50 at the end of the year in strokes gained putting. So it's not like terrible, terrible putters who, who consistently rank like 100th in strokes gained putting generally don't get it done. There's still a lot of volatility in putting. I mean, Justin Thomas is a good example. 
you know, last year he was not good strokes game putting, but he's had hot years putting. So um, obviously if your player has that potential to kind of, you know, make a jump in, in putting, you, you can still consider him. But those are a couple of the narratives. Um, I'm not sure it's necessarily something, especially for DFS, that I think you might actually be able to take advantage of it and get some players who are going to be potentially under-owned, especially coming in off the President's Cup, which was in December. Like talking to guys like Sanjay M., Cam Smith, just in, in that vein. Guys who didn't play last week, but still they, they were active in December. I think you're going to get some really good ownership percentages on those players this week, and I think they could be good DraftKings plays. I'm curious to see how that all shakes out when it comes down to it, because I can see players like Sung Jay and Webb Simpson still drawing a considerable amount of ownership. That's why FantasyNational.com slash the PME. Pay you 20% off when, like, Wednesday night comes along. You click on the ownership projections tab, and you'll get a much better sense than we have on a Tuesday morning of where these guys are going to go. But it does seem like everyone's gravitating towards the same people, most of the people that ended up playing last week, like Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas, Corey Connors, Kevin Kisner. All these guys are going to be highly owned. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, again, it, it, it is for good reason. I mean, a, a three or four of these players are probably going to be in contention this week. It's just the way it's broken down. Um, it, it is a trend. It's a trend that can be broken at any time. But at the same time, you know, th- these guys have performed and they do have a pretty significant advantage of getting that competitive round in Hawaii, knocking off the rust and then coming over here and playing in essentially the same conditions. And that is one thing I would keep an eye on, and it could throw some chaos into this tournament this year. It's going to be really windy, um, like windier than I think we've ever seen it at this event, at least that I remember, because most years they come over here, and I know everyone talks about it being Hawaii, but it really doesn't be that big a factor. We're talking about like 20 mile power gusts throughout may- maybe the whole tournament this week. Um, I'm interested to see how that plays out, see if it really does make scoring difficult. And if that does come in, you could see a player – like some kind of random just come in and shoot like one good round in the wind and, and, and maybe take this thing. So something to consider. Well, that, that would be all signs port, point towards Joaquin Neiman, who was really excellent at controlling his ball flight in the wind over the weekend yeah. uh, at Kapalua. It's funny because a lot of people try to make the case, you know, Kapalua gets super windy, this gets super windy. And that's not like, as you pointed out, not normally the case. Like Kapalua is directly on the ocean. This one is protected a little bit more. We don't normally end up seeing a lot of those gusts. The one thing is that it does look like there's going to be some rain as well. And I pointed this out. This is just for uh, DraftKings Showdown players on the weekend. And I don't know how this works now that the cut line is T65 in ties, I guess it would right. depend on how many guys end up sneaking through, is that you have a much better chance, this is just like an extra 2% kind of thing, but the whole 17 and whole 1 on this course are four of like there are two of the six most difficult holes to birdie uh, 18 being one of the easiest like nine is one of the easiest that if you get into a showdown situation where you're playing off split tees and you're playing in the showdown contest take the guys that are starting on hole one not the guys that are starting on hole 10 you have a much better chance uh, to go birdie 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 seven eight nine eight nine ten and 9, 10, 11 than you do wrapping around the other way. I found that was really interesting stuff. I always try to look at, but always forget, but it just kind of popped in my mind this week after I checked my notes from last year. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a good note to have. I mean, especially you could possibly take advantage of like a win situation too, right? Maybe it's calmer when they tee off. So um, yeah, always good to take notes of things like that on courses. Uh, You mentioned that there's very specific holes here where where guys are going to have like really easy birdie chances. Obviously the par fives are are two of the easiest on the course. They always play, you know, a half shot under par almost. So, yeah, definitely for showdown, uh, take a look at that.
Lots of eagles on these par fives as well. Yep. So actually, eagle rate is something I baked into the stat model this week. Just I think it's going to be pretty prevalent. Like if guys generally make eagles, they'll probably make a lot here. Yeah, I mean, if you can find a guy who's a really strong par four scorer, but does you know is able to take advantage of those par fives with eagles, or just has a good a good eagle rate. I mean, I think that's that's a good combo this week. Obviously, the par four scoring is a big factor here as well. I mean. That's kind of another trend that I've found that, you know, most of the most of the winners here have some kind of run of par four scoring. They've just been strong par four scores over their career. Basically, it comes down to they play par 70 course as well. Um, but again, I, I mentioned, you know, it's kind of a boring course. The par four is all set up the same. Guys can just come in here year after year. They know what they have to do. It's really simple for them. And the veteran players just seem to eat that up. So. So past 75 rounds, par fours gained against the field in this field, top 10, JT, Reed, Snedeker, Webb Simpson, Hideki, Harmon, Neiman, Morikawa, Sabatini, and Harry Higgs. Right after that, it's Chez Reeve and JT Poston. So that's your top 12. And if you break it down even more, there are five par fours from 400 to 450 and another five 450 to 500. The ones that are longer uh, actually do play more difficult. The other ones tend to be like super easy and easy to score on. So the best from 400 to 450 over that same range of the past 75 rounds. Reed, Webb, Neiman, Armour, Hideki, Landry, Snedeker, Munoz, Chez Reeve, and Doc Redmond this week. Yeah, no, an interesting group. I mean, a lot of players that uh, I was already on or, or just looking at, I mean, I think a lot of those guys are going to make fantastic GPP plays for, for DraftKings. You know, talking about a guy like Doc Redman, a guy like Sebastian Munoz, I really like. I mean, these are players who have shown that when they get hot, they can tear up courses uh, a little bit, especially ones like this. Munoz obviously picking up a win on a similar similar course, almost won on the RC, R, RSM uh, Classic there on, on a similar venue too. So I think that's a good stat. I think you're right. Uh, they have to take advantage of those shorter, easier par fours this week. I think most people – if your player's playing well, he's going to be able to handle the, the longer ones. They're not really birdie holes, but guys who can really come through, uh, get the birdie rates up for, for the shorter par fours, those are guys you want to target, especially oh, yeah. in DraftKings. Oh, yeah, look at this. I just pulled up the wind on WindFinder from the course. And Saturday, or sorry, Thursday and Friday, at least on a Tuesday, looking like it's going to be 28-mile-per-hour winds most of the day. On Friday, it's going to be 30-mile-per-hour winds, so there's chaos to be had. Yeah. It looks like it's going to rain on the back end of Friday. I don't know if that's going to wipe out part of the slate because it's going to rain all over the weekend, too. Relatively no wind all weekend, as it turns out right now. But if we got into a okay. situation, I think if you'd want to monitor, and where lineup locks not till noon Eastern on Thursday, so you can wake up Thursday morning and readjust if you wanted to, that – if it does look like the back end of Friday gets wiped out, that you might want to target guys from that group, knowing that they're going to come back on the course on Saturday and not have to deal with any of this wind. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a week where you can take some gambles like that with stacking. Uh, it looks like if you do get lucky and your players get round two pushed to Saturday, and like you said, the wind dies down, could be a huge advantage. So we'll see. Sometimes these things don't work out the way we think they do, obviously, but uh you know, you're taking a risk because if they do have to play in Friday afternoon, it could be the worst conditions too, right? But uh, I agree. Um, like the wind is, is going to be a factor this week. Like I said, off the top, it could lead to a surprise winner, breaking of those trends. But I think more importantly, since it's a DraftKings show, uh, it's something you got to monitor right up until lock because uh, we have seen when these high winds get developed and there's like a cooling off period, if you can hit that, get your wave to hit that period, um, you can get a big advantage when the winds get up like past 20 miles per hour. Over $10,000 at the Sony Open. Justin Thomas comes in at $12,000. 
fresh off a victory a week ago, and he has won this event for. He's shot a 59 in the opening round. Uh, that is $900 more than the second most expensive player, Webb Simpson, 11-1. Reed off his playoff loss, 10-8. Hideki in his first start, 10-5. Then you have Colin Morikawa, who was electric in the ball striking department last week, third behind Justin Thomas and Xander Shifley. I just couldn't chip and couldn't putt, but $10,300. I love Morikawa. Uh, he's going to be one of my highest owned players of the week. I like that he's the cheapest of this group. He comes in playing really well. First timers at this course generally don't do well, but they also generally do not do well at the Tournament of Champions, and Morikawa was fine after the first few holes. So the way that you would try to construct your lineups, I'm fine with having Morikawa as my highest owned highest owned player and most expensive player in a lot of lineups, but I, I think it would be crazy for me not to play any Justin Thomas. Yeah, I'm pretty much there with you, um, especially if you're making multiple lineups this week. Like, you're going to want some exposure to mainly Justin Thomas. I was going to say Justin Thomas and Webb Simpson, but I don't really think you should put those two in the same class. I mean, obviously we have the history, the trend with Justin Thomas having done the double in Hawaii before, but more so than that, he's just clearly the best player in this field, right? I mean, obviously top three in the world coming off a win and realistically he's got three wins now over his last seven starts. And this is a player who is firing on all cylinders, obviously coming into 2020, um, you know, wanting to, to put in a big year here. So uh, this is his venue. Uh, this is his time of year. Obviously, he's won in the fall, early January, multiple times now in his career. 12K. There, there's multiple values too with Justin Thomas. That's the thing. It's easy to make lineups with him. I mean, I, we, we can probably say that most weeks. But again, on a course like this, with with players, uh, you know, in the 7K range, with such good experience playing the Sony Open, um, some players even just in good form too down there in that range. I, I really feel like Justin Thomas probably should be starting off your cash game lineups. Uh, I like Morikawa too, but again, it, there is the, the experience factor. I mean, especially for cash game lineup, I think you're giving up too much upside with Justin Thomas not to start with him. So, um, you know, maybe maybe some people might take issue with that going more more, more balanced approach, but I, I think he's the way to go this week for that, that format. Balanced approach is definitely going to be the less popular lineup construction build. I think a lot of people, maybe if we get to, I'll say the cutoff is at Neiman. So you have Kucher at 9-9, Sungjae at 9-6, and then Neiman at 9-4. Then it's Leishman and Hal to round up the 9,000s, along with Abraham Answer at 9,000. But I think most lineups are just going to have two guys from Neiman and up, whether it's Thomas and Neiman, whether it's Thomas Morikawa, maybe people go Reed and Webb Simpson. I don't know how people are going to construct it. It does appear like it's going to be Thomas, Neiman, and Morikawa as the early ownership shakes out, along with Sungjae, because who doesn't love Sungjae? But two guys from this range is presumably where a lot of people are going to start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely going to create a bit of a dead spot. I think there's going to be some really good GPPs in like the mid-eight to to low 9k range uh, that's probably where i'll be targeting trying to differentiate for sure but um i agree i mean um taking two players from from neiman and above is is kind of what just feels natural for cash games and i think if you are going to go more balanced i think going with like a neiman kuchar lineup gives you a lot more flexibility it can create like a more high-end balanced lineup i think kuchar is a guy who could get slightly overlooked here i mean uh, the guy's just got dominant course history it's such a matt kuchar course that um i, I would that's the one thing I would say about this range. Uh, don't necessarily just bypass him because he's boring or he hasn't had like a top five over his last couple weeks here. I mean, this is this is Matt Kuchar territory. Hard for me to see him not putting up a top 20 this week, uh, especially for cash games. If you're going to bypass Thomas, that is where I would go instead to save money. 
You need to get this like cash game word out of your mouth. No one gives a fuck about cash games, Jeff. You kidding me? You can win like five dollars and a heads up, Pat. Come on, yeah, I know. But GPPs, all right. That's the last time we'll say it. I'll I'll stop being uh, Mr. DFS non-variance guy. Let's just talk about the big money. Who do you like for for targets up there? Then I mean, uh, is, is Reed going to go on their own? That that kind of feels like the feeling with me. Everyone's sharp these days. They see his nine nine strokes gained putting or whatever, and they say, "Oh, I can't do that again." I mean, I, that's kind of the feeling with me. Reed could be the the guy to, to swerve off of here, or to swerve to, I should say. Yeah, Reed, Reed and Hideki are the two that I think are gonna. They're still gonna garner ownership, obviously. Yeah. Uh, just because we just saw Reed perform well, and there's enough people that weren't like, "Oh, he had a he had magic beans putting week." Yeah, uh, exactly. And this is a course where he does score really well on par fours. I can see it making a lot of intuitive sense. Hideki has been like shitty at this tournament over the years. He has four missed cuts and six starts, and no finish better than T twenty seven. Yeah, I, and I get the appeal with Hideki and, and everyone, you know, oh, he's like going to be the perfect tournament. I, he just putts like shit on Bermuda and he has like a lot of his career. And it's just, you're right. I mean, he's played this event like five times and every time he comes here, it's like, oh, this is going to be a good you know week for Hideki. It's a good course. Right? It just has not been. Um, I would much rather go up to Reed and, and hope for another hot putting week. Um, again, I, I just feel like, again, people don't like Patrick Reed this cheater narrative is still flowing through the veins of everyone on Twitter. And again, people, everyone's sharp these days and knows like strokes game putting is very, very, a very variable stat. And it's not something you should chase. So if you do chase it, I feel like you're going to be in the minority this week. Well, over the past 75 rounds, if you want to chase putting, do you know who the number one putter is over that time frame? Uh, in this field, in this field. And he has in his past four starts at this course has no finish worse than T 13. I do not. I wish Webb, I knew. It's Webb Simpson. Uh, okay, yes. I, I should have known that. I was looking up what I was actually looking at his putting stats last night. And I was like, wow, this guy is, you know, he's like t- top 10 strokes game putting last year. And he hadn't had like a bad putting week in forever. So um, not shocking. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure what the ownership on Webb is going to be, but I, I would prefer, I will say this. I know I just talked about Patrick Reed. I would prefer rather going to Webb Simpson overread this week i just feel like uh, i know he hasn't played much i know he's got the disadvantage but um you know we saw what he did on like basically coming in cold to the shriners and, and just about ship that tournament uh, or was it the rsm i can't remember which one but he it, almost, he it, almost was, it was the rsm yeah it was the rsm okay he almost won the rsm coming in like cold i just feel like the guy is so dialed in right now he's very confident with the putter um you could easily just see like a matt kuchar situation last like we saw last year where he just comes in kind of dominates everything and runs away with it. So I, I like me some Webb Simpson if we're talking about, you know, that range over a Reed or a, a Hideki. What do you think that the difference between Morikawa and Neiman is this week? Because when I discussed it with Feinberg, we were talking about like betting one of them. I like both of them. I like Morikawa more, but in DraftKings, he's more expensive. In the betting market, he's 18 to one versus Neiman being 35 to one. And this week I would say that the ownership is going to be somewhat comparable. I would expect Neiman to be higher owned. He's popular and cheaper. That's usually a good way to go about this. I ended up betting Morikawa at 18 yeah. to one. I actually just think that he's the superior player. Just And just because I think one is better than the other doesn't mean that I think the other guy is bad. I think Neiman is very good and it could be a very good play this week. But do you worry that he's never played here before? I said, I didn't worry about that with Morikawa. Should I be worried about that with Neiman or is that just something for, you know, the guys in the $6,000 range. That's something to be concerned about then. I, I mean, at some point, these, these, like, these young players are just so good. I just feel like I, I, we should probably just not worry about it. 
Um, there is a trend of players, you know, having to have played this course a couple times before winning or doing well, but I just don't really worry about it. I, I agree. I mean, I'm on Morikawa this week too. I wrote him up my DraftKings draft article. Um, I, I haven't bet him yet, but I'm heavily considering it. And I'm probably going to do it. Um, I'm pretty much of the exact same thought of you on these two players. Um, if you look at Morikawa's stats from last year, he didn't rank in par four scoring. If he did, I believe he would have ranked first. Um, and it's a decent sample size for him too. He did play against weaker fields, but still, like, you know, you get that kind of stats. He would have ranked, like, top 10 in strokes gain approach. Uh, actually, better stats than Neiman in both those regards. But Neiman's no slouch either. He was top 10 in par 4 scoring. So I think this course sets up well for both these guys. And I agree. Like, if you're betting and you're just someone who chases value, you should probably bet Neiman. I like Morikawa. He's also got some local ties, if you like narratives. His grandparents are from Hawaii. Um, I, I like the way he played last week. He was actually like ball striking better than Neiman. I know Neiman played very well in the win, but this is a bit of a different course that really emphasizes strokes gained approach. And I think Colin Morikawa is so good in that regard. Uh, I would lean him over Neiman, even even if you're giving me like 20 to one over 33 to one or whatever, I, I would still probably take Morikawa because like you, I think he's a better player. The bottom of the 9K range, which I talked about, Leishman, Howe, and Answer. People will own Howell because he's like Mr. Sony Open and generally comes inside the top 10, uh, which is fine, but he's pretty expensive at this point, and his win equity is pretty low. That's always my one concern about him. I know a lot of people will use him in the one-and-done this week. Is that like, what are the chances realistically that Charles Howell is going to win this week? Like 0.001%? Like, I I would rather... Well, I think that he finishes better than Leishman does. If it came down to like picking one of them, I'd probably pick Leishman because at least I know he can win. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, the one thing I, I might say about Howell is with all these fancy players coming in off the President's Cup, like he's squished between Neiman and and, and Answer and, and people like Connors too. Again, people are sharp these days, right? You got to remember, they, they know Corey Connors is a beastie degree and he's, he's got great approaches. I almost wonder if Charles Howell might just go like a little bit over under the radar this week. And, and my, instead of being like 20% owned, maybe just like ends up 12% or something. Okay. Well, I mean, that's where I was more or less getting to. Like I have him right now yeah. projected at 12% ownership, but Leishman's like six and answer is four. Right. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't have a, a feeling on answer being that low owned. I would probably lean towards Leishman or answer then I'd probably answer. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Howell is, is, is still fine at 12%. It's not like you're getting like a 30% owned player or something, which he has been at this event in the past. So um, from a one and done upside perspective, I completely agree. His win equity, he's not, like, not going to win. He just doesn't win, right? So obviously coming in cold, um, you can also make the argument, like this is the guy pushing into his 40s now too. He's, he's kind of getting to the point where you can see there's a clear disadvantage between him and, and like younger players coming up. So like a Neiman. So um, again, a, I'm not going to throw out the C word again, but, uh, I, you know, he, he does make for like a less variable play. But as far as upside goes, you're going to get lower ownership with some of those players around him. Answer and, and Leishman, uh, obviously the two most obvious, just being where he is in price. The issue I have when I'm trying to make my lineups is like the Leishman answer on paper. We talk about the ownership. We know what their potential upside is. It makes a lot of sense to me. But then I look just above them. I still prefer Neiman. I still prefer Sungjae. If I go below them into the $8,000 range, you hit on the magic name that everyone likes this week, Corey Connors. Everyone also likes Kevin Kisner. I like both those guys too more. So I don't know if I want to pivot off of those guys onto the lower owned. I think what I need to do is hit what you kind of mentioned a few minutes ago. This middle $8,000 range, like I'm good with Connors. I'm good with Kisner. I originally had Reavy circled. 
But no one's going to take Snedeker, who has played really well with this course over the years. Yeah, this is the range I like for GPPs as well. Uh, Snedeker and, and Harmon are two guys I circled as being good low on pivots in my article this week. But realistically, like I'm not even sure how highly owned Chaz Reeve is going to be. And I'll I, also I, take I, I have Reeve projected right now at 16%. Okay, the, so... The, I mean, the highest owned player of this range. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm a little surprised in that because he was crap last week. But again, I guess people just, again, don't care about that. And for good reason. I don't think you should just cross Chaz Reeve off because of last week. He's got a fantastic record here. Of course, that's up well for him. I like Snedeker and I like Harmon. Uh, the player I, I am going to take a shot on here is Cam Smith. Um you're not a my favorite play, not my favorite player in the world, but like you, you really look at his history here. He hasn't shot over par here in the last twelve rounds. Like a, a you know, a bunch of rounds in the sixties. He's got a sixty-four. He likes it here. Again, another player who, coming off a of Presidents Cup, played deep into the season in Australia. Like he played three weeks ago in Australia. So this is a player with form. Um, all things considered, like you, you're talking about talent. You know, um, th- there's. Players in here, I mean, Brennan Todd, even Chez Reeve. I think Cam, up, Cam Smith's upside is still pretty good. Um, I think for a GPP play, you're going to get him at low ownership. I, I love the the fact that he's played this course like four times, and he's never struggled here despite, regardless of form. So um, uh, GPPs, I do like Snedeker. I do like Harmon. I think Cam Smith, though, will, will be my pivot from this range. Snedeker hasn't played since the FedEx Cup playoffs. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. It, that's the only thing that concerns me a little bit. But like you said, I mean, this is a, a veteran player, and, and he's obviously almost won this event one year. It's a really good setup for Snedeker. That does that is a factor, though, and, and that is kind of what led me towards saying, you know, if I was ranking them, I'd probably go Smith, Snedeker, Harmon. I might even go Harmon over Snedeker. Actually. So I was initially now going to pivot onto Snedeker, but that does it actually does worry me that he hasn't played in like fourteen weeks. So I think it limits his upside a little bit for sure. I think you could get a solid week out of him, but you know, you're going to get like a top three. That, 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 to me, I think Smith is more potential for that finish. If I told you that one guy in the $8,000 range is projected for 1% ownership, would you care who he was and would you just take him? Well, it's Alex Noren, right? <laughs> it is Alex Noren, yes. I mean, look, I like me some Alex Noren. I, I, I'll, I'll defend Alex Noren just because he's a Euro and uh, I always think the Euros kind of get overlooked. But um I don't know, man. I mean, this is a player, obviously, who who wants to find some consistency and get himself back, like, uh, you know, in, in top 50 in the world and stuff. So there's that narrative. I just I just don't think I'm going to go there. But he is going to be 1% owned. Uh, he's, he's a player who can get hot with the putter at any time. So you, you can factor that in. He's, he's had some good finishes in Bermuda, obviously almost won uh, the Honda Classic one year. 1% ownership is really tempting, especially because it's not like Alex Noren – isn't a, like a decent player and, and can't pop up for a week. It's not like we're talking about, you know, some player who's coming in off an injury just hasn't made a cut for like three weeks. He's still been playing. Okay. He's just not playing uh, probably as high end as a guy like say maybe Corey Connors or, or someone else. So I think it's, uh, it's worthwhile to at least take a look. If I was making a hundred lineups this week, uh, he, he would be at least involved where I would get at least, you know, maybe triple the, the, the field ownership so you play three of a hundred lineups with alex exactly exactly i mean that's uh, not much of an endorsement but I, i'm playing 20 lineups this week and now that we've talked this through a little bit and i'm seeing that he's down to 64th in the world but he has made eight consecutive cuts yeah if, if, if the weather gets bad and windy like he's a good wind player so that helps and he was 10th at the rsm he was 15th in the bermuda against like the world's worst field but even going back to some of the stronger ones that he's played in he was t15 at alfred dunhill uh at the bmwp 
PGA. He was T28. Like, he hasn't been, like, horrible like he had been before. So, I don't know, maybe I'll go three of 20 lineups with Nor and then not worry about Snedeker and not worry about Cam Smith and just take the guy who no one has. I think considering how low owned he's going to be, I, I, I would agree with that strategy. Even though, like I said, it's not necessarily the guy I'm, I'm trying to endorse from this range. Um, but I think cons- when, you, when you do get a player that low owned, it can be, it can be the difference between like a, a, a good finish and a really good finish. And again, we're talking about the big money GPPs here, obviously. So um, yeah, Norton has been playing, I think, better than people are giving him credit for, uh, for sure. So. so if you had to rank your favorite plays in the 8K range... Who would you go? Because I'm going to go Connors as my preferred play, who I bet to win this tournament at 45 to one. Uh, JT Poston would be number two for me at 18 at uh, 8100. I bet him at 55 to one, and then it'd be Kisner, who I bet at 8700 at 50 to one. So I like all three of those guys. It does seem like a lot of people are going to be on JT Poston with me, though, which worries me. Yeah, um, there's a player I like better, uh, similar price range to Poston, similar kind of coming in uh, a little bit better and probably going to be lower owned, but we'll talk about him later. Um, I would rank them. I would go Cam Smith. Um, again, we're just going. I'm not, I'm I, not I, I have to ask you, besides yeah. being awful, what does Cam, Cam Smith like do for you in lineups? <laughs> well, I mentioned, I mean, okay, first of all, Coming in, I just like the fact he's coming in off of playing like he played basically a full December. I mean, played the President's Cup, played twice in Australia, and then you factor in the course history here. I mean, his course history here is really good. Like, it's not just the finishes; it's he's been extremely consistent. I mean, around this well, let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. He has no finish better than T eighteen against a weak field every year. Okay, but again, it's not like he's he's doing blow up rounds and he's he's getting lucky here. I mean, this, this is a player who's traditionally been really good with his irons is accurate off the tee increased his accuracy last year uh i think it's a really good venue for him and again coming in with with just that competitive uh you know kind of burn whatever that he's been he's been with the clubs playing while these other guys have been sitting i like that that's why we like the guys from hawaii last week too so when you factor in that course experience uh the setup uh, i i again I, maybe i'm just factoring in ownership and, and my love for the for him from a gpp perspective too but i do like him from this range uh i would go probably connor's next i like poston as well so i'll put in third and then i would go with my gpp plays uh probably probably Harmon uh, after that so those would be my top four so looking at it, I think Herman's a logical pivot off of some of these guys, especially off Poston and Munoz, who also expect to be very highly owned. Uh, I think he is my least favorite of the potential pivots here because it doesn't appear like anyone's going to use Todd. And I just think out of obligation, knowing that the past two winners of the OHL also won this event, that you're going to get a low-owned Brennan Todd. Yeah, whatever. He played like crap last week. Kucher played like crap the week before winning this week as well. So I wouldn't be too concerned about it. The fact that no one's on him, I find kind of surprising. So I'll use a little bit of him, but Andrew Putnam's the other one. He was like second here last year. Yeah, I know Putnam. Putnam's a guy. I don't know. I'm always surprised when Putnam does well. He just feels like a player who's a good putter. um, Just like not that great off the tee, but you know, he can get kind of hot with his, his approaches and wedge game. Uh, It's a good, it's a good scenario. It's a good mix for, for this this um this event obviously this course i just like the upside w- with the other players around him too much um he's probably a good pivot i, I like Harmon a little bit better um he's just a player who's, who's been pretty consistent over his last little bit too he's, he's shown with a couple wins and he can come in here and get hot so 
there, there's not much to separate a, a lot of these players that we're talking about. Obviously, there's there's degrees of of how much they've played and stuff like that. Um, I, I definitely don't don't mind the the Putnam. I understand why someone would want to pivot to Putnam. He's just not a player. I generally pivot to when he's priced up here between these types of players. Um, I just feel like his upside is, is somewhere should be a bit lower, and he's he's still riding like a, a bit of a hot streak with his with his putter. And uh, I, I just feel like really when you're talking about these players, I think just Harmon's better. That's basically what it comes down to. So I guess that's my take on Andrew Putnam. Seven <laughs> K range. So if you want to differentiate in the eight Ks, you can do that. There's also guys that you can do that to in the seven K. So here are the highest owned plays. All the now projected above 12% ownership players in the $7,000 range, just for your information. Uh, Brian Stewart is 13%. Munoz, 16%. Knox, 16%. Grio, Sabatini, and Palmer, all 12%. Zach, or sorry, Lonto Griffin, 18%. Pat Perez, sorry, Von Taylor, 11%. Kyle Stanley, 15%. So those are the ones tracking in double digits right now. After learning that information, and again, this can always change the later that we get into the week. That's just how it's shaping up right now. But would any of those numbers worry you? Because I like Lonto, but if Lonto is going to be the third highest owned guy in the tournament, nah, I might go a different direction. That would be the player that worries me the most as well. Um, again, nothing against Lonto Griffin. Uh, he's, he's been playing amazing. It's just... Yeah, I mean, 18%, it, it, it is getting up there to the point where I, this field is deep enough and, and there's players uh, around him. I would probably rather, like, eat 11% on Vaughn Taylor, who's, who's coming in off a really nice fall season and, and is a really strong putter to the point where you could see, like, a top 10 putting week from him for sure, um, which is kind of what you need to get him done, get it done around here. And, and realistically, I mean, even under Lonto, I mean – you know, Pat Perez, um, your boy Shugo there. I mean, who's, who's coming in with some amazing hot fire Asian tour form. Um, even Keegan Bradley, th these guys are going to be really low owned. And I mean, are they really like worse than Lonto? I don't know. So uh, 18%, I, I would get off Lonto. I do like Munoz. That, that the, I'm fine with eating a little bit of chalk on Munoz this week. I think, again, I was talking about pivoting off a of post and um, realistically, if they're going to be the same percentage, I would prefer Munoz. Uh, he, he's played really well at, at setups like this in the past. Obviously, almost uh, won the RSM. He, he's done well at bouncing back, too. He didn't have the greatest week last, last week in Maui, but uh, finished strong. Um, I, I, really like, uh, I really like Munoz this week. So I, I, I would prefer, I mean, if it came down between Lonto and Munoz and I had to fade one of their ownerships, I would fade Munoz. I prefer Lonto and he's cheaper, which is nice because I don't want to pivot off of JT Post. I really like JT Post in this week. He's going to be one of my highest owned guys. But the move here could be if you wanted to get off Lonto and still play the narrative of last week, there's a bunch of guys who played last week who no one's using because they played poorly last week, but they're all like good players. Like Palmer, yes, he's going to be in double digits. I do like him. Kevin Nall is going to be like, 4% owned. He's $7,500 and one of the best players in this field. He was just horrendous last week, but $7,500, low ownership, and then just drop right around him. Fratelli is $7,700, 2% ownership. Yes, he was god-awful last week, but let's not forget, some of these guys, once they're out of it at the Tournament of Champions, they're like, whatever, I'm here on vacation. Yeah, um... I don't, I don't know about Kevin. Nye. It, it does worry me a little bit, but you're, you're exactly right. I mean, once, uh, once some of these guys start with like a poor first round and also like, let's not forget it was windy last week. So 
it's not like uh, it was the conditions were making it easy for these guys to turn things around, right? Like once they started poorly, um, they were probably just, you know, saying, I'm, I'm not exactly going to, don't have the effort here to, to turn things around. So Anah is one of those players who, he, he'll, he'll do his own thing, right? So if he feels like just packing it in for a week, Kevin Nod's going to pack it in for the week. Um, I, I agree. He's, he's going to be low. And I, I would even say 4% ownership sounds like a little bit high to me, considering what he put up last week. Uh, I don't think a lot of people are going to have the, the bravery to, to click on that. Fratelli is – Fratelli, I, I, I'm okay fading Fratelli, even at low ownership, just because he's a player who feels like you're going to see it coming with Dylan Fratelli. He's going to start just popping up like top 10 strokes gain T to green every week. Um, I know he did get the, the benefit of, uh, of, of, a, of a, a start last week, but um, that, that's not really enough for me to just say, oh, he's going to make for a fantastic tournament pivot. I, I would prefer guys a little bit lower uh, in salary than that. Like I think Daniel Berger um, is, is a player you could even go to, or Russell Hanley at 7,100. I'd rather take a shot with those guys who who have similar upside, maybe aren't as consistent, but uh, I'm okay fading for Kelly at 7,700. You'd rather go back to the same guys that cost you money every week? <laughs> Me? Bet Russell Henley? No. I mean, you want to throw Grillo into this too? Grillo, I, I was surprised to hear. I guess people just cannot get off of Grillo. Um Look, it, it's hard for me to make an argument against Grill. I mean, the guy ranked top five in strokes gain approach last year. He's so consistent off the tee. Like, it, we're obviously, this is, this, these are the stats we, we want to look at in consistency. And the guy's 7,600 at a course where you, all, you, know, you want straight hitters off the tee and guys who can just smoke it with their irons. I don't know, man. I mean, it's just that one week Grillo is going to figure out how to putt again. And uh, like everyone who just keeps chasing him is, is going to get paid off. Um, He's probably fine for, for cash. I shouldn't say cash games. You're going to yell at me. But uh, he's probably a fine play. I just don't really know what his upside is in an event where you have to get the 20 under and, you know, make all your pots inside 10 feet. So take that into consideration um, before you roster him. Well, the guy that didn't even come up in this conversation is right around Fratelli. If you didn't want to use Fratelli, Carlos Ortiz was second at the OHL. He was fourth the yeah. week before that. This is a primo event for him. Like he could play really well. He does really well in birdie fest. This is going to be a birdie fest. Uh, he played in one of the most extreme wind conditions at the Houston Open. I think it was like 2014, 2015, uh, and he was the only player to come out of his wave who ended up inside the top ten of the tournament. Like the guy's a good talent, and I think that we're all just kind of because Lonto and Munoz and all those guys ended up winning during the swing season. We forget that Ortiz was the other guy in that group. He just didn't win. He just came inside the top 10 a bunch. Yeah, I was going to bring up uh, Ortiz. I'm glad you brought him up because I it flew off my mind. I was going to bring up Ortiz in this range. Um, again, we're talking about all these these potential pivots. I feel like Ortiz is probably the best pivot. I mean, he's like, he's he's kind of like Grillo in the sense. He's, he's very consistent with, with his irons and off the tee when he gets going, but he can actually sink some putts. And, and this is a player who won the Corn Ferry Tour like money list. He he was he was coming in like off a of Sunjay M kind of year, and he was touted up that highly at one point, and he just fell off the earth for for a year or so. And it, and it happens to guys. I mean, Lonzo Griffin kind of the same thing. He he just he just had a really bad year his first year on tour, fell off, and now he's back to being consistent. Ortiz is in the same vein. He just hasn't won one yet, like you said. This is a player with experience at this course too. I really like him as a tournament pivot here. If people are going to play Grillo. That's fine. Like I said, Grillo's a good player. I think Ortiz's upside is way better this week uh, to the point where, like, I, I would be absolutely fine taking multiple shares and being, like, double the field on Ortiz, whatever his ownership's going to be. 
What do you do with my guy, Papa Shugo? So he's in like the low sevens. He's a top 35 player in the world by the world rankings. I don't know how much we're buying that. But his recent form is third, 39th, first, 36th, second, second, 59th, 12th, first, seventh, first. I'm I'm kind of interested. I mean, I, I usually make fun of you for these type of plays, although they, they seem to work out for you all the time. But um, I'm kind of interested. This is a very simple course. This isn't a course like they're not playing Torrey Pines here where he's going to have to come in and compete with all these guys hitting 350-yard drives off the tee. He's played here before. He actually performed okay here last year. Um, again, we're, we're talking about like guys who've been competitive over the last three months. So he's been playing every week, and he's been winning. And, yeah, he's dusting – weaker fields i get it but like this setup if anything probably mimics a lot of what he's seeing week to week over in his regular tour um it, it's not that far a hop from him to, to where his homeland is so I, I like it i think he's a good tournament play i mean i, I mentioned henley and, and Berger, and yeah those guys are obviously better players in my mind and in, in long run but it's not like Berger has been playing that well either or striking his irons act consistently um i, I think amir harris is a good tournament pivot. There's not a ton of guys I'm in love with in this range either. So in my opinion, whoever you're taking a shot on between like 74, 7,000 range, you're, you're taking risk. Um, why not go with the guy who's built himself up high in the world rankings and been playing like a lot coming into this week. This, this is a big week for him in, in a lot of ways. And uh, I think, I think it's worthy of like getting him into your GPP lineups. Uh, he's made the cut here the past two years, too. He's 54th and 33rd. Nothing great by any means, but it's something to at least build on. He has experience at this course. The other guy I was going to mention from down here is Pat Perez, who is top 10 at the OHL. He has top 10s in two of his past four starts. The two that he did not perform well at were the tough ones over in Asia against the good players. Well, you know, now he's back at like yeah. a regular tournament where there are like three good players. So that's a more like a Pat Perez style venue. So I think those two guys, like they have a combined projected ownership of three percent that you know two shots at a 20 on each of them and i you're massively overweight to the field and i think that prez obviously has more upside shugo might actually be safer which is kind of weird but the big name down here who's carrying the most ownership of all of them is kyle stanley at seven thousand dollars i don't think he's ever missed a cut at this tournament which is kind of no but yeah like, he, he does but, he, but he's terrified he is just absolutely terrifying yeah i'm i, I agree he is terrifying just because of, of how poorly um, Kyle Stanley can pot. I know his, his course history here is a little surprising, um, you know, with it just being like such a heavy second shot course where he doesn't have to obviously like power off the tees, de-emphasize. It, it's a good setup for, for Kyle Stanley. He's obviously putted well here in the past to, to the fact where he, he is, you know, basically made the cut in every start. I had some good solid finishes. Um, I, I'd, I'd be a little, I'm a little surprised to hear he's going to be like the most popular player. Although, like I said, this whole range feels like like landmines right so it feels like you know the guys who land on the right player whether it's Perez or or um you know Imahara or or Hanley whatever are gonna have good we or the potentially like land on a really good GDP play so um I, I'm I'm not really interested in Kyle Stanley um his past form coming in over the fall wasn't wasn't really that great I get that the course history here is but you look at guys like Berger Hanley Perez and they all have great course histories too so I'm not sure what makes Kyle Stanley so much better from that regard. Uh, I guess he's a little bit cheaper. Maybe that's why. I think it's that he's cheaper. And if you just yeah. go look at what he's been doing, even over the swing seasons, that he's been gaining a bunch of strokes off the tee and even more through approach. The ball striking has really been consistent and excellent. But as it goes with Kyle Stanley is that he puts himself out of every tournament. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I agree. And I, again, like, I'm just not sure what Kyle Stanley's upside is this week. So um, again, Kyle Stanley guy, I feel like too, you can kind of see it coming with him. He'll, he'll start to, to stink a few more pods, get a little more confidence. Um, again, if he's going to be anything chalky, I, I'm fine taking a shot on one of those other players we mentioned a little bit higher or someone uh, a little bit lower uh, as well. Uh, there's a couple guys definitely in the high 6K range I like. Well, let's go into the 6K range then. I'll put I'll tell you the guys that I have stars next to, at least at this point. I'm not committing to playing them yet. Well, a few of them I'm committing to playing for sure. But the guys on my short list right now, maybe I can add some names or subtract some names from that list. Graham McDowell, Nate Lashley, Tyler Duncan, Zing Zhu Zhang, Mark Hubba Hubbard, Scott Harrington, Andrew Landry. Those are the guys. And it seems like everyone's using Doc Redman from down here, if, in case people were wondering. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Redmond, I, 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 look, I, I, I like Redmond. I think at 6,600, you're getting uh, a really solid player. Obviously, he played well in the fall. It's his first time coming through. But, I mean, again, I, I feel like he's, he's a solid enough player. You shouldn't he, worry too much about that. Outside of the – well, Tyler Duncan, I have projected at 7%. And I have – Doc Redman projected at close to 14%. And those are the two right. highest. So he's almost doubled the next closest guy. Like, and it, like, if you look at the Fantasy National Simulator, it loves him. The stats, it loves him. But we still know that the inherent risk with a lot of these 6K guys, that it's always just better to avoid the chalk. And sometimes it's hard to do. Sometimes you don't want to. But over the course of the entire season of playing DraftKings golf, just fade these guys. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, I, I'm not shocked to hear like that you guys haven't projected that high. That's pretty much what I would have expected. Um, I, I, you know, obviously, I'll still say I like him because I, I, obviously at 6,600, you got to like a player like that coming in with stats that are obviously putting him high in, in people's models. But uh, I agree from tournaments, we're talking trying to, to find those low owned like kind of sleepers that are, are going to pop your lineup. Uh, I would probably rather take a shot with Graham McDowell. Uh, he, he hit the ball well last week. It's a great course for him. A uh, player who did not putt well last week. But again, it, it's kind of the same thing as the Kevin Na argument. I mean, Graham McDowell's a veteran. Like, he, he's just a player who, who will do his own thing. He probably started the tournament off uh, a little bit shaky, uh, came in and said, I have no shot in this win to catch up to, like, Justin Thomas. I'm just going to take it easy and enjoy Hawaii. I'm sure he's coming into this event uh, a little bit more focused, uh, probably realizes the, the venue change gives him a, bit, a lot better shot. I, I think he's he's definitely in play this week. Uh, definitely like a, a poor man's Matt Kuchar in a lot of ways uh, at 6,800. Uh, I definitely would not mind taking a shot at him. Also, DJ Trayan, a uh, guy who played well in the fall, uh, putted really well on, uh, on the Bermuda grass at RSM. Um, good setup for him, I think. Uh, he's a good ball striker, really solid tee to green, 6,700. I don't mind that. And I like Hubbard. I'm with you. Um, those are those are three guys, definitely GPPs I'm looking at. Yeah, so Hubbard, Harrington, McDowell, are really where I'm going to. Maybe I'll back off of Tower Duncan just a little bit if he's going to be like the second highest owned guy. The thing is, it's not that you need to look for guys that are low owned in the 6,000s. It's that outside of Redmond and Tower Duncan, everyone is low owned in the 6,000s. So they can just, yeah. if anything is even close, be like, oh, I'll take the guy who's, you know, 3,000% less owned in these giant tournaments. And if he hits, and they, if, even if you have Doc Redmond rated marginally better, then let's say, I mean, I really like Scott Harrington this week, and maybe he garners some ownership. So let's say Mark Hubbard, who they will, will not, and should, because he's been really good over the swing yeah. season, especially in the approach department and these birdie fests where you really want to go. Like Even if you have Redmond rated 1% higher in terms of what your projections might be or how you feel about them, but one guy's going to be 14%, the other guy's going to be 2%, just take the 2% guy. It's a really good tiebreaker. 
Yeah, for, for sure. I agree. And, and that is, uh, it's a good point. Like other than maybe like one shot play per week, usually the 6K range, you don't have to worry about ownership. Um, you can still play Todd Redmond too. Like if you're doing like, you know, you're going like Webb and, and Justin Thomas or something to start your lineup, you can take Doc Redmond and just take a two other 6K guys. You're going to have really low on players. So, um, oh, one other name I'd throw in the 6K range, Fabian Gomez uh, played well in the fall, obviously past winner here, uh, sets up well for this course. If he's putting well, can definitely uh, can can definitely pay off there. So I, I like his upside as a GPP pivot too. Uh, any love for Chris Kirk, who either misses the cut or does really well at this tournament? Um, Chris Kirk is still making his way back. I, how, how, what is his price? I forget. 67, 60, yeah, 6,700. Yeah. Where is, I mean, where, where is, where's my guy Cameron Tringali? Why isn't he here? <laughs> I mean, he played a lot in the fall. Oh, he played in Australia too. He's probably taking a break, I guess. So he's coming off a strong year. This would have been a good event for, for Tringali for sure. Although he probably would have ended up being like 6,700, like 20% owned. So uh, maybe it's good. He's not here. Kirk is interesting. I mean, you're, you're taking a, Obviously, if you're just emphasizing course history if you're taking Chris Kirk. He's, he's a guy obviously coming off the break for personal reasons. Um, played twice in the fall. Played okay in, in one start and then missed the cut. I mean, just from a pure talent perspective and what he's done in his career, he probably deserves to be higher ranked uh, in the price. But, again, I'm fine waiting and see. I, I like some of these other names down here a little bit too much to just take a shot on Chris Kirk this week. Yeah, some of the other ones, the stats inside the top 30 overall in terms of the stat modeling I've done over the past 75 rounds. Uh, Harrington rates out the best, so I'm going to use him. I also right. bet him uh, with a very small bet in a top five each way, 275 to one. Uh, Cameron Percy would be next, then Doc Redman, then Troy Merritt, and there was one other like jabroni who ended up popping up. Oh, it was Graham Dillette. And Seb Straka are the other two. Remember we used, we just used Seb Straka every week and it was fantastic. Now he's yeah. sixty two hundred and no one's using him. And your guy Christoph Ventura, you you, you took him in our draft. <laughs> yeah, Pat. Let's let's not bring up my draft at this point. I, I have nightmares about some of the guys I picked. I don't know what I was thinking. Ventura is interesting. He's a he's one thing I'll say for a young player. He's a very good putter, so um, he could show up as like a first round leader. I'm going to wait and see if he, he can get his, his, the rest of his game going before I, I start touting him uh, on, on these shows and stuff. I'll throw out Matt Every as a name to consider. Um, he was playing well before he got the old, uh, you know, cannabis see you later there for, for three months, uh, the old three-week, uh, three-month vacation. Um, but he's back. It's a really good setup for Matt Every, the Bermuda Matt Every. Definitely, def- look, if I'm going to give any advice for this week, bet Matt Every first-round leader at whatever he is uh, each way I mean, he's got he's got to be one of the lowest. I, I'm going to look that up right now. Oh, he's good, probably like point one. Good advice. Let me see. First round leader, 175 to one first round leader. Yeah, I, I can do that for sure. Let's, let's do that right now as we speak. Boom. Don't don't get your espresso this week, people. Just bet Matt every first round leader. Like that's it's not going to cost you much. Yeah, it, it doesn't. I'll put. <laughs> I'll go. I'll, I'll do a four dollar each way on him. So yeah. four dollars to the one seventy five, and four dollars for the top five as first round leader. That eight eight bucks could turn into eight hundred and eighty three. Jeff, I mean, look, Matt. Matt Every's got a fantastic record as first rounds leaders too. He's done it multiple times. Done it at uh, Hilton Head. He's done it at Wyndham. Paid off for me big at, at Wyndham one year, first round leader. So, look, uh, yeah, could de- definitely do it. Should have some motivation. Uh, they took away his his medication. So. Yeah, he's gonna have to go. He's gonna have to go play on the McKenzie tour in Canada. <laughs> yeah. 
Just be like, fuck this. I gotta get gotta get high before every round or I'm no good. I have a couple of friends who do exactly the same strategy when they go golfing. Yeah. No, I've 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 been there, trust me. <laughs> uh any love like do we like Dillette at all? Like when, when do we when can we consider him back or do we just have to wait for it to happen? I the thing with Graham Dillette is, and here's my argument, I guess, against just waiting. He's, he's, he's not like, he's not, his game is tee to green, right? So if his ball striking isn't there, is Graham Dillette going to save you with his putter every week? Answer is no. Um, I would just wait to see him some good ball striking stats. It'll probably too pop up. It's kind of like Kevin, when Kevin Chappell came back, uh, he popped up with like that one incredibly hot fire round. Then he struggled for a bit. I would wait to see a little bit of consistency. Look, from a talent perspective, sure, 6,100. I, I get if you just want to put him in there and, and, and just go from that perspective. But I would wait. Um, th- there's still some good young players down here in this range. Like, I mean, again, we mentioned Ventura. Uh, players like uh, every every who played in the fall. I would rather take shots with him than, than Graham Delight, who I just – it's hard for these guys to put together four rounds when they're coming off injury. And, and Kevin Chappell kind of showed that. Uh, I would really wait on a player like Graham Delight. Do we put any merit into Sam Burns, who has, wasn't like not great yeah. since he returned from the injury when he broke his ankle, but like he is like Mister Putting on Bermuda. Yeah, um, I forgot to look up Sam Burns this week because I I know he was coming off the injury. So miscut, miscut, forty fifth, miscut, miscut. Right. Those are his past five starts. However, per round he gains zero yeah. strokes, no positive, no negative. He's even on bent grass. He gains. 0.15 per tournament, uh, sorry, per round uh, on POA, and per round on Bermuda gains 0.7 strokes per round on Bermuda yeah. grass. That is outrageous. Yeah, and again, I, you know, we're talking who we want to take a shot on here. I, I, would, I would prefer a guy like Burns just for those reasons, like you said. I mean, his, his, his putting stats, he's just a good putter, uh, which he's shown over his career, but obviously he's, he's, it's been emphasized on Bermuda greens. Um, yeah, I, again, I'm not exactly sure the extent of his injury. It was kind of a little nasty, you know, fluke thing he, that had happened to him. Obviously affected his game, but he's had he's had time like the let. Um, I would definitely rather take a shot on him. Although, again, I'll say it again. I, I don't think you have to do that in this field. Um, I'm just looking like Troy Merritt at 6,500. I would rather just click Troy Merritt's name, who, who's also a fantastic putter, than, than take a shot on a player who's, who's coming back from injury. But Burns, uh, to me, yeah, definitely better upside at a venue like this where he could just come in, maybe not even have to hit it well off the tee and still put up like a top 20 because of how well he butts. So, so I figured out my Doc Redman problem, just like how I don't want to use Matt Every in my DraftKings lineup and I'm going to be fading Doc Redman. I'll also just bet Doc Redman first round leader and see how that goes. I, I, I like that strategy too. I mean, again, I'm, I'm generally looking to fade. I'm like you. I'm generally looking to fade the heavy chalk from – you know, the, the 7K to 6K range guys, um, they're just obviously more volatile players. But uh, if you can get a piece of them, like with a, like a big top 20 bet or a first round leader or something, yeah, sure, why not? So it's the first round leader, since we've been doing this and I just opened up the page, I was like, oh, I can bet all these guys. This is great. Uh, so I'm going to get off the page here very soon. But I did the first round leader in each ways with, let's see here, Doc Redman, Scott Harrington, Andrew Landry and Matt Every. I have those four guys locked in. That's 150, 160, 175, and 175. That's not bad yeah. for the moment. We'll see where no, else I, I end up. 
I think I'm going to add Landry and Redmond to my list as well. I was already looking at Landry, but uh, I like it. He's a guy who's, you know, four rounds. It's hard for him to put up four consistent rounds, but he's definitely capable of that uh, that one burner in the first round too. He's a good first round leader, but. Herman is 200 to one as someone who's won a lot of money on Jim Herman, first round leader in the past. He played well for like three rounds at the tournament of champions. What's I didn't even see his name come up here. How much is Jim Herman? He's 6,200. You kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I almost bet him outright actually when I saw his odds for this week, just because again, we're playing, I'm the one who brought up the narrative on Twitter of of guys who played last week and Jim Herman sitting out there like 500 to one. Uh, guys won twice on tour at like similar style courses too. That's the thing. Like when, when he does well at courses, it's this kind of course. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, he, he gets higher fire with his putter and his irons. Right. And he, and they're both Bermuda greens as wins. So um, yeah, I get probably again, a guy I would, maybe I'm, I'm not going to go the DraftKings route, but I'll probably maybe try and just get a little touch of money. Either it's the outright at like an insane price or just the first round leader. I agree. Uh, again, another player, I didn't have room on my list for him here, but uh, I wanted, I kind of wanted to just mention him at the end. He's made four straight cuts. He has a top 10 at the Sony open in 2017, made four of his past five cuts at this event. This guy, like I didn't realize how bad Jim Herman is around the greens. Like he is the worst player. Like we thought like Dillette is bad or like, what is it with Canadian players? By the way, like Corey Connors also sucks around the green. Like Hadwin is the only good one, like from two feet off the green. And, and Hadwin is a little sketchy at times too. Like he can go through his bad patch. I've seen him blast chips like 50 feet past. I, I think it comes down to just that these guys can't practice their short games year round, right? Like they're probably hitting balls and doors for three three months of the year. And I know yeah, a lot but, of them Yeah, but I guess, hey, let's not pretend that these guys are living in moose jaw past no, the time that still, they're 17. When they were younger, right? Like, I mean, their skill sets uh, probably in that range, they just didn't have to- as much time to work on it. They were probably ball striking more when they were 12 or 14. And I, I don't know. I'm just throwing things out, but it probably does have a little bit of something to do with it. A lot of these guys with, with fancy hands around the green, like Tiger, they grew up in, in spots where they're just around the course all the time. So that's my take on it. But uh, you're right. The, the Canadians tend to be the supreme ball strikers just probably because they're in their, their basements hitting irons all year. Or, or they're playing hockey all winter and like hockey players tend to be the best golfers. Like if you go from like at other sports who are good at golf, like, you don't notice because there are no like famous hockey players enough. Like, I don't know if remember when Alex Ovechkin had that hole in one swear God, <laughs> but like if Steph Curry decides he wants to go play golf, it's a big deal because he's Steph Curry. He is a popular player. Tony Romo wants to go do it. He's a starting, was a starting cornerback in the air quarterback in the NFL. He can go try to qualify for the U S open. It's a story. Like, no one in the States cares about any of these like jabroni hockey players who are like good at golf. Yeah, no, it, it, it's not, it's not making headlines. Put it that way. No, there's, there's no cameras falling around uh, like Nate McKinnon in the off season playing golf or anything like that. They just assume these guys are, are playing golf. It, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, right. a, it's a similar motion. It's the right body type. Like was it Dan Quinn who used to play for the play for the, I think he played for the penguins in like the early nineties, like with Lemieux and, uh, like Kevin Stevens and Jagger. He ended up being like Ernie Els's caddy at one point. Oh, really? I never yeah. heard that story. Yeah, he, I, th- I think he qualified for the senior tour and ended up being Els's caddy. Like, they're good pals. No, yeah, and that's that's the thing with some of these hockey players. Like, they're legit good players, some of them. Um, I'm not sure I, I, like what percentage of them ever chased a pro career, but, I mean, just some of them going out. I mean, they, some of these guys can just go out and shoot, you know, scratch golfers, just uh, even just playing the offseason. So it is a transferable skill. 
uh, probably it, maybe has something to do with it as well. But uh, and well, I mean, that. well, it, it has. It's a transferable skill, and the seasons line up perfectly. Like when hockey ends, it's yeah. officially golf season in Canada, and when golf season ends, it's officially hockey season. It's like what you do. It's like how Canadians for ages used to be re- like pretty decent baseball players because the seasons right. matched up perfectly with hockey. Right. Yeah. I mean, hockey players as a group of athletes probably the best golfers. You know, just from that perspective. So. I guess we got that going for us. Well, there's also the caveat of rich sport, rich sport. Yes. Uh, both, both are very expensive to play. That's yeah. true. So you can afford to play hockey. You can probably afford to play some golf too. My, my kids are going to be runners. So yeah, they're, they're going to be, <laughs> they're not going to be what they're not going to be polo players. No. <laughs> it was funny. Like, I, I was talking to my wife and she was like, what sport should we put on? I was like, I don't know. All of them like beside yeah. besides hockey and see how that goes. Uh, yeah. cause just because, yeah. well, there's a good advantage of being like, cause we're both in Canada. So not playing hockey, like one, I, I can't stand hockey. Um, and I played it for like 15 years and real realistically, I don't want to have to wake up at like 5am and go to some shitty rink that has no heating in it. Like, you know, I'll stick to the sports that are just a bit easier. I mean, the cheaper for one thing, but like, the ability to excel at not hockey in Canada, if you're any like sort of good as an athlete, is so high just because all the good athletes play hockey. No, no, that's true. Like you have way less competitive, you have way less competition. I mean, if you can, you know, put out a niche in like fencing or something like that, you're going to be the top fencer in the world. Or even swimming, right? Like again, there's just not that many high-end swimmers uh, going out there in Canada. So things like that, for sure. I, I admit, like I'm, I'm, tr- I'm actually getting ready to teach my kids how to skate, and I'm not looking forward to it. I got to go either go to the cold rink, or go outside and freeze to death on like a dinky little outdoor rink. So it's going to be fun for them, but uh, not so fun for me. It's funny. I, I you have to. I, I you don't have to, but I have a couple friends who can't skate, and it's the weirdest thing in the world because <laughs> everyone else knows how to do it like well. Yeah. I mean, I have not skated in a while, but like, I oh, you, you pick it, you skate. pick it right up. I went like yeah. eight years without putting on a pair of skates. You put yeah. it on, you do like one lap. You're like, Oh yeah, I know how to do this. Don't worry. Yeah, just, exactly. just, just so, make your, just make sure that the blades are sharp. Cause you don't want to be out there with like rusty blades or dull <laughs> blades and like try to turn it and then you just wipe out. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. Um, it is one of those things in Canada. If you don't know how to skate, most people will like keep that a secret. Like it's something you lock away and uh, if, if the skating ever comes up, like I've had friends, they just make excuses and I know they don't know how to skate. So uh, yeah, it is one of those things. It's like a stigma in Canada. So it, it's, I would say that in Canada, more people know how to skate than swim. Absolutely. I, I actually know a lot of people who are like, either don't know how to swim or like barely know how to swim. It's a little scary. So yeah. So I, I got to teach. I gotta, I'm writing this down. I, you, I showed you, I had the video by my son walked for the first time last night. Now yeah. he just like runs. It's like, Oh my God. So I got to get skating, swimming for so for socialization reasons. Learn, teach him how to do those two <laughs> yeah. things. And yeah. then I'll, then I'll get a member. I'll move somewhere cheap and get a membership to a country club. He can learn how to play tennis and golf. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if uh, golf, I'll, I'll take my kids to the driving range one day. We'll see. But uh, golf is a, that was a time-consuming thing, too. I love it. And the problem with Canada is, too... Well, you also all- live in the Arctic, so that doesn't help. No, it does not help. But uh, no, maybe one day I'll put an indoor driving range in or something. See, golf is a good one because it's something you can go do with your... Like, I played golf with my... Like, he probably taught me how to play golf when I was, like, seven or eight. And I just played yeah. golf with my dad. It's... If, like, you're playing baseball or you're playing hockey or basketball, it's like your parents bring you to do it and then, like... 
watch you struggle for an yeah. hour, then you go home. At least with golf, like you can go do it too. That's a good point. I mean, I, I that's actually a really good point. I never, I never really thought about that, but I did like my dad was the same thing. He took me to the drive range and then we'd go play like once a week or something like that in the summer. So it is it, from that perspective, it, it is actually a way better sport to teach your kids because you can actually do it with them, not be bored to death and like teach them as you go. So. Yeah. And it's a, something that you can like, once you get past the point of like, I played golf with my dad last summer and probably the first time I had played golf with him in like 15 years or so or like since basically i started like since i got my license so since i was 16 it was the first time i just went and played golf on my own or just stopped playing golf but he can still golf and like i still golf so it's something that i was able to do when i was a little kid with him and now i can do as an adult when he's getting older too so i think yeah. it really works out well that day number one sport to teach your kids golf just don't be poor yeah <laughs> just don't just don't be like me and just pick lo- pick losing lineups every week just actually pick good lineups you'll be fine yeah, be- become a member of FantasyNational.com, FantasyNational.com slash the PME for a discount. Use it better than Jeff and I do, and boom, win the money, teach your kids golf, set for life. There you go. I can hear your kids in the background. Yes, they're, they're getting a little antsy. My wife is out there, but uh, oh, we're, good. we're good. All right, let's wrap it up then, Jeff. Where can everyone find <laughs> your work and your picks? Oh, yes, where they can find it. Uh, definitely check out the DK Live app. Obviously, we got the, the sweat show. It's on at 10 Eastern now on the interwebs. You check I, out I, the- I like that you know that. Well, we just switched time, so I just had to, I had to remember. We went from afternoon, evening to morning, so it, it's 10 Eastern now, uh, so definitely check that out. And uh, obviously, the DK Playbook, that's where you find my weekly cheat sheet. Really just follow me on Twitter, at the Fantasy Grind. Uh, I'll have some betting stuff up on the thefantasygrind.com as we transition out of football and uh that doesn't take up half my life so uh definitely just follow me on the interwebs on twitter you'll get all the good stuff you can find my cheat sheet and my article up on dk playbook as well along with old transition and jeff over there uh you can also follow me on twitter at the pme facebook and instagram my betting cheat sheet will be out on my facebook page wednesday afternoon that'll have the whole collection of bets top 20s whatever i end up deciding to do plus the one and dones for the week for me jeff and the cast. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with the NFL Pick Show with Tim and Tim and Jeff. So stay tuned for that. Until then, I'm Pat Mayo. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time. The headlines remind us daily: the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing, but you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.